Welcome to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with your host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary are provided by Jackson Delisle and Monica Hacker. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team. All right, today's show is brought to you by Planable. Planable Planable.io gives your social media team everything they need to really move their creative process forward. It allows you to preview social media posts as they are live, real time. No more screenshots, mock-ups, spreadsheets, ah, spreadsheets. Your (laughs) clients can review content from within the platform. And do you have anything to say about it, Monica? It's a great platform. We've been using it now for a month. I love it. Um, it's a game changer in the content world. I highly suggest it. Yeah, go to Planable, P-L-A-N-A-B-L-E dot I-O to start your free trial today. All right. This week's influencer guest is none other than Dahlia Saper. She's the principal attorney at Saper Law, and she's in uh, intellectual property, social media, entertainment, business law, uh, with headline-grabbing clients and cases. So we're going to hear from the best of the best of the best in this, and then she's going to be talking about uh, agreements, trademarks, domain names, sweepstakes. Uh, we're going to dig into as much as we can in this short uh, 45 minutes that we have with her. But Dahlia, welcome. Okay. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you right. made it. You made yes, it. I'm here. I'm here. Um, thanks for having me on the show, Dean. Appreciate it. Yeah, and you're uh, you're in uh, my hometown, our hometown, and I'm not. So uh, thanks for doing the show today. No problem. Yeah. So um, so you've had the uh, the firm's been around for a little while now. How long? When did you start up? We are in our 15th year. So we started in 2005. We had our 14th birthday in June. And uh, it's been an interesting uh, ride. Let's call it that. I started the firm as a 20, early 20-something-year-old coming out of law school and figured, what will people hire a 20-something-year-old to do? <laughs> and it naturally made sense to go after an area of law that was new and undeveloped, which meant the scary internet. And I was one of the first lawyers to have a website, and I understood what domain names were, and my friends were all um, creating online businesses. So I think right time, right place, then social media exploded. And since then, a big focus of our practice has been anything and everything related to the internet, social media, web-based businesses. Yeah. And when I I think um, I mentioned to you before, too, you and I had gotten together, um, I don't know, about feels like seven or eight years ago, but who knows? Uh, In internet time, it could have been like weeks, but I know we've known each other for a while. And, you know, like I said, I always send people your way, especially when things feel dicey and that, you know, a thing becomes legal issues. (laughs) I'm like, I do not want any part of that. And I started in the reputation management business. And what's funny is you and I were talking about this before the show is that the basic principles 
you know, really haven't changed in, in terms of uh, with reputation cases. We're like, you know, teaching people that, hey, build your brand online. I just wrote the doggone book on it, you know, and, and in terms of called it's called First. It's right. on Amazon. And it really is telling people, listen, you know what, if you know, once you, you need to own who you are and let the world know who you are before somebody else defines you. That's right. <laughs> you know, which is where the problems come up, right? Well, a lot of people are afraid or they're like, I'm just not going to be online. I'm, I'm going to protect myself by not being on Facebook, by not having these social accounts. And I tell them that's not, you know, it's not necessarily the best uh, route to take, because if there is even just one negative statement about you and you have nothing else, no other online real estate, that one false or negative statement could really impact your reputation. Right. And and uh, with that being said, I say it's like, you know, covering your eyes and walking down the street of Chicago and hoping that a bus or a car doesn't doesn't hit you. Right. It's like it's roulette. I think people are more savvy now. I mean, when I was giving these lectures a long time ago, it was very one oh one. This is what a social media account looks like. Now I'm addressing more specific questions like how do I stock my children on the internet? What tools do I need to <laughs> make sure I'm not tagged in something I don't want to be tagged in? What are different privacy settings? So I think we we know now as a society that social media can be amazing and also abused, but uh, there's still that level or lack of sophistication when it comes to all of the different both platforms and features on those platforms that give us protection or help us. Yeah, for sure. And I understand also that you're, uh, you're a troop leader. Is that accurate? <laughs> yes, I am. Shout out Troop 25850. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Girl Scouts, the fourth grade brownies. Uh, no, the juniors now. They just graduated. That's oh, man. Great. Yeah. So we actually have uh, cyber. What do we call There was some cute name with the word cyber in it where we talked about good use of screens versus bad screens. Uh, they all love their, you know, I, I, iPads. Yeah, that's really. Yeah, and well, and now, um, yeah, and now with the uh, Gen Zs, we say they're swiping before they're wiping because they're born literally with a device in their hand, right? Yeah, and there's, I think, there's new uh, rules around. You shouldn't put a child in front of a screen until they're two. You know, they shouldn't. They shouldn't be looking at any sort of screen. Right. No one's doing that. It's so much easier. I know. Yeah. Right. Here's the babysitter. But uh, but the reason I bring it up, too, is because um, I had written I started this about seven, uh, seven years ago or so, because when I was doing a lot of the reputation research, I found so many horrific stories in my children. You know, Jackson, obviously older now, but they were in uh, middle school and grade school at the time. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's this bad stuff coming. And so I built out what's called a digital citizenship program. And I've been teaching that in schools and church groups for a while. And and the goal is, like you said, is to just educate people on what they're doing. Because we're seeing like people getting scholarships stripped. We're seeing uh, accounts get hacked. And, you know, we, we I was on NBC uh, just a little while back and this uh, gymnast locally got um, her account hacked and it turned into a porn site. You know, it's like in she's like what 10 or 13 or whatever and I'm just like this is horrible but I think people if they're better educated can help each other out you agree with that I do and I'm seeing I teach also uh I have a high school summer camp and I think it's been um really pushed in school so we're seeing this new class 
acting very differently than the kids four or five years ahead yeah. of them. Whereas four or five years ahead of them, you know, the 20, early 20 somethings, they grew up in an era where it was all about trying to amass followers and being popular online and everything was a public post. And there's been a real seismic shift, I think, with the the eighth graders to, you know, high school students now where they all have very locked down Instagrams. If they're even using Instagram, it's more on the Snapchat that's more ephemeral. So, and they kind of roll their eyes when you tell them about sexting or bullying because they hear it all the time now in the school. Right, so. right. Yeah, and um, it is still baffling to me how many people, especially you and I were talking about, uh, I think you said the ones that should know. Um, <laughs> yes. you know. They should be smart enough to know, but the number of adults they don't realize that stuff is permanent many times. I'm getting more calls from politicians, professionals, people who thought they were sharing information in the context of, uh, you know, a relationship, but didn't realize exactly how and what they were sharing. I have a, you know, I have, I have a story. I had a client who was a teacher and was using one of these dating apps and the students found out that he was on the app, pretended to be older and created their own fake accounts, baited him into sending images, you know, what? fake images. And he thought he was on an adult dating app and communicating with another adult. But sure enough, he, you know, he didn't technically do anything wrong. He's an adult on his private time using an app. Of course, they took those images to the principal and he's facing all sorts of disciplinary actions and he's lost his job because, oh, goodness. you know, I mean, and who's, who's the bad guy here? Maybe it's those kids who shouldn't have done that, but at the same time, a teacher yeah. is better safe than sorry. Right. Use your brain, use your noodle. Yeah. yeah. If, yeah, if you, if you wouldn't go out in the middle of the street and yell it out the door, don't put it on the internet. Right. Especially <laughs> in a way where you can't control where it goes or yeah. what happens to that image. Yeah. Yeah. And if you wouldn't show your mom, don't post it. Right. <laughs> it's like it's common sense, but there's no, yeah. Uh, and the other thing that people don't realize is that even when they have posted it, themselves. And this doesn't necessarily have to be a graphic image. It can be just a negative review. We get phone calls from people who post it to sites like Ripoff Report. Right. Um, or or dating sites where you can, you know, the kind of websites, websites I deal with include Cheaterville, DontDateHimGirl.com, HomeWrecker. Uh, so we get calls where I, I was really mad at my ex or my boyfriend or whoever, and I went online at two in the morning and wrote this scathing review about them. I want to get it off the internet. I, I woke up and realized that's a bad idea. How do I do that? Then that's kind of a big problem because you you can't. Some of these sites don't allow you to remove even content that you've posted yourself. Right. Yeah. It's and yeah. So um, so what's the uh, what's the craziest thing you've seen around that? Um, craziest is just the links people will go to mask their identity and then entrap or engage others to post content or, or share content they wouldn't otherwise. Um, imposter accounts, uh, videos that mash up images from elsewhere and then, you know, create these fake personas. So I think a lot of that, that's the more, what is this, you know, this is crazy behavior kind of cases that we get. 
Yeah, I know. And and so for, you know, for, for those of us in business, I always think about that. Like I will get so many requests and, you know, when we're on social media, like we are, it's, that's going to happen. But I'm just baffled by the number of requests I get on all platforms that are just still fake accounts. I, you can just right. smell them a mile away, but then how many people you know, do not smell those coming from a mile away and then get lured down that path of a scam or something else. It's just, it's, I know they're doing as much as they can, but there's still too much of non-verifying people in their identity. Yeah. And just, you know, what, to what end, of course, there's also a lot of education around um, how to best protect your passwords, how to not reveal information to people who are phishing. Again, I think it's just common sense. If it looks if it looks off, you should check before you engage. Yeah, and if if you don't know the person, you know, really triple check that person. You know, even on LinkedIn, there's a there's still a lot of uh, fake accounts on there. So spinning spinning this down to another path of of those that are of us that say use images and things like that, that we find on the internet, what's the, what's the best practice case of making sure that we're not using, you know, images that are not ours. And, and is there, you know, some rule of thumb or practices that you like to. Yeah. There's a lot of mis there's a lot of misperception around memes and images found on social media where we can share and repost. You would think that that is the point. Let's say I found a cool picture on Instagram and I want to share it to my own Instagram page. There's the right way and the wrong way of doing it. Um, increasingly as we see all these would be influencers and people who think they're, you know, important, they, they end up becoming these trolls. And I use the word troll because they may have an image and sometimes it's not, they're protecting their brand, but there's an increase in these photography enforcement groups and individuals who are very vigilant about their content, which means that you may find an image you love on Instagram and you see, and Instagram is a lot more limited than platforms like Facebook and you download it and then you re-upload it. That's technically copyright infringement, even though ah. you're able to, even though it was sourced from Instagram and it was otherwise seemingly public domain, that's not the right term, but you would think that just because it's on the internet or on someone's social media post that you can then take that and share it. That is not true. You cannot, you can link to, you can share from, but if you physically remove that image and then re-upload it, that's a different um, act that would trigger a copyright infringement case if they wanted to bring one. Yeah. So, and then there's a lot of sites out there. I, I often wonder about this because we get sites that say, well, these are royalty free. They're copy, you know, there's no copyright on these images. And there's literally tens of thousands of images. And then if you read the fine print, it's like, well, there could be. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, what's safe to do? Well, you do have to read the fine print. There's uh, Creative Commons sites with that, that reference a Creative Commons attribution or, you know, licensing widget are good to, to use. Uh, it's not also just about the image, it's about the person in the image. So yeah, sometimes these wow. stock photography sites will say, you have the right to use the image, but you gotta go find the guy in the image to get a publicity release. That really? person, yeah, you may not, you know, if you're using a stock footage of guy shaking other person's hand for business website, but it's a prominent picture on your site or on your ad campaign, 
you you have to read the fine print to make sure that the person in that image would also be okay with being used in a commercial way to promote wow. a product in a you know in a commercial way. So, so we're really getting to we're really getting to a world where we have to pretty much take our own pictures anymore, right? Pretty much. That's the safest that's the safest way to ensure that you're not going to invite third party claims. Take your own images, commission your own images. You can with a you know the right contractual terms, hire a photographer, hire a composer, hire a copy editor. And in that agreement state the work being commissioned is a work made for hire and that you as the person purchasing those services and paying for them will own the work. If you don't have the magic work for hire language, just because you paid for the work doesn't mean you're the copyright owner. That's another big misnomer or misconception. I paid, for, I paid them, so it's mine. And then I have to remind them, well, when you paid your wedding photographer, they still held onto those, you know, raw files and those images, didn't they? And then they, you had to pay for the images on top of paying them to take the, the photos at your wedding. And then they're like, oh yeah, you're right. So it just, it just depends. If you don't set it up properly contractually, when you hire these third parties, you may not own what you've paid for. You just have a right to use it. Yeah, right. So like in our, um, at our events, we always have people sign releases, even if they're doing like one-on-one -on -one interviews with us and we're like, hey, you know, here's a release, you're releasing us to use this. Um, are those still safe to do that way? Is that the right way to do that? That's, that's a best practice. Absolutely. Anytime you can get someone to write write off any claims that yes, you should get that. Now there's, there's some common sense. If you're at an event and you take a photo of the room, which I do to promote my firm all the time, and you post that, that's, that's fine. You know, generally you're not using any individual in that image to sell a product or service. Right. Um, but when it turns into, you take that person's image and you put them on the cup, the coffee cup or the orange juice box, then you're really, then you have to be extra careful to get those releases. Actually, I'll just tell you, I, I had a, you asked me about some crazy clients uh, or crazy fact patterns. I had a client who was in, on a fishing trip in Mongolia and was approached by a film crew to do a voiceover to say Pepsi Black. And um, long story short, they didn't get the proper releases. And he said, you know, I think I have a claim. So there's there's a lot of, you wouldn't, you would, you would be, or Virgin Mobile is another great case. I give the example of Allison Chang. She, she was at a church barbecue and someone took a photo of her. The photographer put the image on Flickr, said, go for it. Anyone can use this image. I don't care. It's, you know, I'm relinquishing any copyright to that image. And sure enough, a big brand, Virgin uh, Australia found the image on Flickr and their, their people said, hey, great. We don't have to pay anyone for this image. We're just going to use it to be our, mobile to mobile, virgin to virgin campaign. And she found out about it through Twitter. Someone posted her image in the campaign and said, I never agreed to be the face of this right. campaign. Um, so just because you have rights to the image, the you know, that's the takeaway. It doesn't mean you have rights to the person in the image. Yeah, that's interesting. And you know what I was wondering too, is I, I talked before the show how um, uh, I think I was the, however, whatever the proper terminology was, when I wound up on the dating site with my image and somebody put it up there, um, et cetera, and a different name, all that stuff. With today's technology, it's interesting because now I see that I'm starting to get um, uh, notices like from Facebook that say somebody might have put an image of you online. 
like not even tagging me, but just, so do you think, you know, that's going to start helping or hurting or do you, you know, how do you think that's, what's that look like? it's, it's just again, another tool for you to monitor and manage your online reputation. Yeah. Uh, and, and also helps us try to determine if images are being used incorrectly without authorization, et cetera. So I wouldn't be afraid of it. I'd embrace it. I mean, yeah. No, I like it. I like the idea. And it's funny how many people I look like, too. A lot of money. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, right. If someone's using you to catfish others, then you're you're doing something right, Dean. Yeah, maybe, whatever. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, false advertising, because many of us are advertising out there and we believe we're doing right or we create our websites with all this content out there. So what do you run into where this false advertising piece comes up? Well, um, first of all, you want to make sure that you're abiding by the FTC disclosure uh, rules and guidelines surrounding endorsements. So many people think I'm going to have my mom and my employee go on the internet and post awesome reviews about my products or my services. FTC's cracked out on that and said, if there's a material connection between you and the affiliate or the person posting that review, then you need to disclose that material connection. And people are getting increasingly in trouble for not doing that, including big celebrities like the Kim Kardashians of the world. Right. Uh, because we are more and more consuming advertising uh, through influencers, through social platforms. And we may not readily be able to discern, unlike a TV infomercial or commercial, that what we're viewing is a commercial. It's somebody, right. somebody who's been paid to whether it's through gifts or through perks or through money, has been paid to write that review or make that post. So that's one way that you can get in trouble for quote-unquote false advertising or not disclosing the advertising. Right. You can also get into trouble by, by making false claims and, you know, like, hey, my skin line, my skincare line cures cancer. And what advertisers, advertisers may not realize is that even if they hired, let's say, an influencer, and even if that influencer discloses the material connection between them and the skincare line, if in their post they write, I love this product, it cures cancer, even though that statement wasn't dictated or, or you know, authorized by the advertiser, the advertiser could get in trouble for that influencer's post. Wow. So you want to be careful about all downstream, whether it's your agency or the influencer, making comments about your product. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And then what about just saying, hey, we're the best at what we do? Is that like false advertising? If no, there's somebody... mere, puff, mere pufferies, that's what we call it. <laughs> Puffery is okay. Um, but when you when you're starting to make a definitive statement about something's efficacy or the fact that it may cure something, um, or that it, it has specifications or features that it does not, then you're inviting FTC claims, unfair competition claims, deceptive advertising claims. Yeah, that's interesting. I always wonder about that. Like, we're the best in all the land or we're the best in the U.S., you know, and all that. It's like, you know, can you really say that, you know, or whatever? No one really, that's such a, no one really knows what that means, right? Like, we're number one. But um, now, if you say we're number one in this category, for whatever, and it becomes a lot more specific and it sounds like a statistic, then you can get into trouble. Yeah, so let me use uh, let me use the F word a couple times here. So, uh, so the FTC and FCC. So, <laughs> when do they come into the picture? 
or when do you see that they come into the picture on some of this? Um, usually someone's, you know, they're, they're, it's reached a critical mass or someone's brought it to their attention and it makes sense for them to use them as an example to investigate. Uh, I'd say the majority of their investigations involve somewhat high profile brands just so that they can set precedent and guidelines surrounding those investigations. But I'd be worried more about your competitor or your local, you know, vigilante who reports you to this the various not only federal regulatory bodies but the state regulatory bodies that could also come at you for improperly advertising a product. Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely interesting. And then um, uh, one of the one of the other things is you know we do a lot of events like you do, and um, and we have sponsors for those events. Mm -hmm. Now a lot of times it's like oh these are my buddies and uh, they're going to write checks and I send them an invoice and boom they're sponsors and then I'll I'll say and then we're going to give you this 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 and this and sometimes it's a little more formal you know if it's a bigger you know, company or brand helping us out, but in a lot of cases, it's not. So what should we put in a sponsorship agreement that you see that most people leave out? Well, I mean, if it's a sponsor, I think that's one of those examples where the material connection is clear to the person viewing it, right? If it's an obvious advertiser or sponsor, and it says our sponsors, we know that sponsor means paid for, typically. Right. Um, now, if they're going to be posting their affiliation and it's not clear and they don't say we are sponsors of XYZ event, then your agreements should have a section that addresses these FTC disclosure guidelines and state, use this hashtag, make sure that in the post you write, we are sponsors. And that's kind of the best practice, just to very definitively address how people are going to list or promote their affiliation with your events. Yeah, it was interesting. We had an event that a Fortune 500 brand was sponsoring, and I won't mention their name, but um, they literally um, delayed the promotion of the event and eventually had to have the event rescheduled because um, they, they couldn't get satisfied on the positioning of their logo in how it was used, even though it was by the guidelines that were set to them. So um, at some point, I think some of this gets a little ridiculous or crazy, but I'm just like, do you see a lot of that out there where things yeah, just I mean, get the, hung up? Yeah, the bigger the brand and the more departments you need to clear, <laughs> then yes. Then, you know, we always joke that sometimes we're, we're fighting over such ridiculous minutia, but that's keeping, you know, in-house counsel employed and justifies the various tiers within big organizations for existing. Um, but, you know, practically it can be an issue because if you don't have marketing, talking to legal, talking to sales, then there, there is exposure and risk from a legal standpoint when there is no checks and balance. So it's more of a business issue. How do you streamline and effectively get into the arrangements, business deals, but still preserve that necessary communication between these three different silos. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's interesting. And, um, you know, we, uh, we also deal in the influencer space, although most of ours are business influencers, but um, what are some of the things, you know, maybe a couple of, of critical things you want to make sure that are in those agreements, or is it pretty much the same as a sponsor or advertiser? It's a lot of, um, a lot of these, 
agreements will mirror typical endorsement deals. Ah, but you right. want to consider, is this an exclusive or non-exclusive uh, arrangement? Is this influencer going to be promoting competitors' brands? Um, what's the category that they're they're good at? I mean, they might have a lot of followers, but is it the right kind of follower for your brand? What are the, sorry, what are the actual parameters around what they're going to post? How many posts? Is that a live call? Can we listen in? No, yeah, right? <laughs> and let's take a call from the audience right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you just look, like, what are you going to get for your money? How many times are they going to post? Yeah. Where are they going to post? What are they going to post? Who owns the content? Is it going yeah. to be influencer? Is it going to be the the advertiser and how long will that content live? Can you reuse and repurpose that content once the campaign is over? Those are the things we address in our influencer agreements. Right. I notice on uh, Saper uh, Law, which is S-A-P-E-R-L-A-W.com, you do have some good advice and tools on there. And we'll put all those links out there um, for folks to uh, yeah. uh, to dig into as well. Um Let's let's move into and this time always goes so fast with you, even when we're having coffee. But uh, the <laughs> the you know most of us um, have taken our pass or our shot or love the idea of sweepstakes and contests. And the social media platforms themselves have guidelines, and then there's just um, you know legal guidelines to protect ourselves. Can you just maybe coach us a little bit on yeah, well, best practices? When you, have, when you run a promotion, you first want to determine if it's a contest or it's a sweepstake. You don't want to be running an illegal lottery, which is a sweepstakes that requires consideration, meaning if you have to pay to enter uh, for a chance to win, that becomes an illegal lottery. So that's why... What about, pay, what about paying with your information? Does well, that... Is that so um, typically the point of a sweepstake is to pay, is to gather... Uh, email addresses and expand some uh, businesses database. That's typically okay. But different states have different guidelines around what becomes too burdensome and crosses the line from no payment and no consideration. So if you have to do seven different things and give your information, they, they might construe that as being consideration. But at a high level, many clients call and say, well, we wanna give people an incentive to buy something. And that's truly the point of our sweepstake. And I say, mm -hmm. Okay, um, you, that's okay as long as there's a very clear and easy alternative method of entry. And that's why if you look at every sweepstakes you've ever entered or seen, the first things you'll see in big, you know, big capital letters is no, you know, no cost to enter, no consideration to enter. Here's how you can enter with a postcard if you don't want to pay. Uh, now, with contests, that can get even that can, that's a lot easier because you're not paying, you're not, there's no chance to win, but some states will say you can't pay either to enter a contest, whereas other states do allow it. So part of what we do is determine where your contest or sweepstakes will be available and accessible at, what the rules are, and whether or not you have followed the guidelines required by the states. Some states, ah. require, so some states require you to have a bond or register the sweepstakes or contest if there's a prize that's above a certain value. On top of all that, you need to worry about what the social media platform's rules are. So first you look at the federal rules, then the state rules, then you look at the country of Facebook's rules or the country of Twitter's 
and we make sh- and those change. So it's not like you know we knew what they were two years ago. Every time it's a new platform, I go back and double check: has Facebook or whatever platform updated its guidelines and rules regarding those promotions? Yeah. So so with that, um, are you governed by the state that the company? originates at or operates at? Because, you know, like we're incorporated in one state and we operate in another. What rules would we follow for our contests? You would follow the rules of each state where the contest is available. Because uh, So if it's the internet, you have to do all 50 states? Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Unless you explicitly exclude certain entries, right? Say not eligible for people in, and you've seen that in contests. Oh yeah, right, yeah. People in Michigan cannot enter whatever. We don't want to mess with Michigan state laws. We don't (laughs) want to get in trouble there. So that's why you also see those disclaimers and exclusions in these rules. Wow, okay, cool. And then um, and then, what about if you have people, because you see a lot of these, we don't run as many of these, but we want to make sure that, you know, in order to win, you know, like our page, asking people, is that too much consideration or? Typically, typically no, but there was a uh, time when Facebook's rule said you can't require that. Right, right, I know. So I, I think, I mean, I remember the few years ago, that was like a no-no. You couldn't, you couldn't induce people to like something because it runs afoul again of those FTC disclosure rules, which even say that if um, you are entering a contest and posting something, which most social, uh, social-based promotions entail, you have to say that I'm posting this because I'm trying to win a contest or a sweepstakes. Right. Right. I'm uh, laughing because Glenn typed in here and you guys are welcome to put in some other questions, but how do we limit our risks or do you wait for trouble and play stupid? (laughs) I didn't know. Right. Well, you've all heard ignorance is not a defense, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I don't think you want to go that route. Um, There's some cases where you can, you know, do and then ask to be forgiven, but Inc- the, the penalties for some of these things are pretty severe, especially with respect to even copyright uh, infringement. There is no, uh, it's a strict liability cause of action, meaning you don't have to show that you had knowledge or knew you were infringing in order to be liable. And with the proper copyright registrations, the person who sues you can get statutory damages, meaning $750 up to $150,000 per infringement, plus wow plus their attorney's fees and costs. So you could be on the hook for sharing, you know, one little image or video you found on the internet and then be on the hook for a lot of money, even if you didn't do it on purpose. What's the craziest, highest payout thing you've seen? Well, we've seen uh, all of these downloading cases, whether it's pornography or it's music or it's film. And typically these take place over the BitTorrent uh, protocol. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but these no. share, there's these file sharing services where people think that it's, you know, just because it's like the Napster, what Napster was, you know, 10 yeah. 15 years ago. Um, and, and they are populating these content owners are populating these BitTorrent, they're seeding them. I mean, there's a lot of technical terminology and then going after people for watching or downloading one movie. And they wow. can make thousands of dollars. Like you watch one indie film, then you thought, hey, this is cool. I'm getting it for free off this platform, only to pay thousands of dollars to settle a potential copyright infringement case. Is that is that by the consumer or by the person distributing it or both? Both. Wow. 
but they're really going after the person watching it because they're, they're using their trackable by IP address. They're downloading the film. They don't know that it then re-uploads into this system. And that consi- that's considered an unauthorized reproduction or distribution. Boom, you're looking at thousands of dollars. Wow. Wow, that is just uh, insane, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, I honestly think we pay too many for too many subscriptions because I think we have like YouTube, Hulu, Cable, uh, it's ridiculous, Amazon Prime, so I think I think we're on the opposite end of that. I think we overpay for things. Right, but that's, that's where, and we've shifted also as a society to understanding, and that's why the, the music industry is different now, and um they like the recording industry pioneered these kind of cases going after people who are streaming or sharing music, not streaming, downloading and resharing music. And now we've seen the shift to streaming services where you don't really actually get the, the downloadable file and you're listening to it online. I love, I, can I shout out and say I love Spotify and I hope they sponsor us someday because I keep saying that. But to me, that was the best invention ever because you could share playlists and I don't know what you use for music but I think that's probably one of the I mean and yeah and I think I even still pay for some level of iTunes sharing but uh, they just they just got it down well they changed they we've changed the way consumers consume music we're not buying iTunes anymore which I think when they close iTunes is no longer a thing I don't know I still Um, get bills I I gotta check into it but (laughs) we're not really buying single songs anymore that's that's not how we consume I do remember buying them though and going, man, should I really pay 99 cents for this song? But yeah, I'll have it forever. But you know, there's, there's interesting cases that come out of this. For example, there was a lawsuit involving a platform called ReDigi. What they did was they would resell um, your iTunes. So it's like you'd go back in the day, you'd go to and sell a CD and then you'd go buy the (sighs) CD. Oh yeah. Their platform allowed you to sell your, your song and then they would resell it on a secondary market for less. And the records, recording studio said, no way, you can't do this. That's that's copyright infringement. And technically, apparently it was because they had to make a copy, even though it was deleted from your computer. And they lost that case. But that's an example of you know technology trying to catch up with what um, is considered fair use and the first sale doctrine. And I won't bore you with lawyer stuff, but... That's that's the kind of cases we're seeing where you've got these new technologies that allow for the distribution of content, but that may run afoul of traditional copyright laws. Yeah, that's interesting. Man, there's just so much to keep keep track of, right? Yeah. I'm glad I'm on the marketing side, but thank goodness we have people like you on the law side. So yes. keep us safe out here. So um so at this point, we want to bring um, we want to bring Jackson and Monica on and hear what they have learned uh, as part of this. And the audience is willing to jump in here and uh, maybe disclose what they learned and some questions they might have. But um, Jackson, what did you hear? I heard that you can't download movies illegally. <laughs> you're, looking really, you're looking really guilty on the screen right now. I've never done it, uh, but I know people that have, you know, so that's a, that's a, that's a it, hit, it hit home, hit real close to home on that one. Uh, personally, I've never done it because I've always been like, I, I don't download things from sites that I don't trust. First of all, just because I always use my laptops both for work and personal. I've never just had a personal laptop. So I always, you know, ha- have multiple purposes. 
And, you know, I grew up with a father that always said, never download things from sites you can't trust. Right. And 80% of those sites have things on them, I assume, from that say, you know, like, this isn't a secure site, you know, and, you know, you're accepting all the risks when you, if you download anything from this site. So I always just try to steer clear of downloading things from like third party sites, you know, um, but yeah, and delete, no, that, and delete those cookies too. <laughs> yeah, delete the cookies and then hire someone like Saper Law to help you out when you get in a jam from not listening to this podcast sooner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So uh, so Monica, how about you? What'd you get out of this? Uh just the uh when you were talking about the contest. Um, we're actually putting a contest together for one of our clients, and it was just interesting, all the just legal stuff that comes with it. I didn't even know, like, 90% of that. So we have a contest, and I'm definitely going to your advice that you went through and uh, just make sure that we don't get it. Well, what's crazy, too, is, you know, with a contest is that, you know, all of us have been running them forever, and then all of a sudden it'll be like, Oh, you know, uh, and I think Facebook does the best job of this, but they'll kick it back and they'll go, oh, you should check all these things or you should double check this stuff and your contest cannot be run at this time or whatever. And um, I think they're doing, they're doing a better job. Instagram, so-so, but I've seen some cool things come out of there. But, um, but yeah, I, I like the fact that, you know, at least we're, you know, looking at all these things and, uh, and then that's part of what you teach too, right, Dahlia? I've, I've heard you talk about that subject too. So yeah, so we, we have a few. I have a few uh, greatest hits, I guess. One is just the the broad legal implications of social media, where we go over all the wonderful and terrible things that can happen online. Another is focused on advertising and what's the what are best practices. Um, and others are about just protecting one's brand. You know what a trademark is and what a copyright is and how you can best secure those rights and then disseminate them and use them in your branding online. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. And then um, we always pick a couple winners every week, but we do ask everybody in the audience and everybody that listens to the podcast and all the other channels that Jackson mentioned, I can't even repeat, um, that people listen to us on. But uh, when you... uh, here's something that, uh, you know, that Dahlia was saying, and it resonates with you, and you find it important, make sure right away you teach it and talk about it with someone else so that you can be in the dialogue of being that true thought leader and influencer out there so that, you know, so that you can pass that along. And, and obviously, you know, if you think Dahlia can help somebody, uh, we encourage you to contact uh, Safer Law. And what's the best way to, uh, to contact you? Yeah, all of our contact information is on the webpage. So just the contact button on saferlaw.com. Yeah, there you go. And Jackson will publish all that cool stuff. And then what's the best social media platform to catch you on? I'm on all of them. Uh, You know, Twitter is uh, Twitter or Facebook, really. But I'm I'm on all of them. You can find and I'll respond to all of them. LinkedIn, of course, for corporate work. Instagram for the fun social stuff that our work does. <laughs> Twitter mostly to you know we we disseminate a lot of interesting uh, third party cases. You know this is in the news, and Facebook just kind of an extension, of course, of Instagram. So I'm on all of them. You can find me everywhere under Ed Saper Law. And a, and a shout out from the Catalanos that they love you with the entertainment law. So. 
Shout out right back at them. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, for those of you that don't know, Catalano and Cabor are uh, entertainment CPAs, so they work really well with Sabre Law. Uh, yep. Jackson, who's our winners this week? So on Facebook, we have Shaylee Hakeman, uh, and then Glenn Stewart on Zoom. All so, right. Woo. Well, I want to thank those listeners. And remember, uh, I think it was Jim who just mentioned, he just had his cup of coffee with someone. So remember, when you sit down with that person for coffee, discuss what you learned on today's podcast and really share that with that person and get into a thought leadership dialogue about how we can make the internet and our influence just better in the world for each other. So we just uh, want to encourage you to do that and everyone to do that that listens to this program. And um, with that being said, Dahlia, we appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for being on with us. We'll definitely have you on again. Thank and, you. Uh, thanks for educating us for sure. It was fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And we will see everybody online. So uh, don't forget to uh, tune in every week live or download from your favorite channel. And uh, take care, everybody, and we'll see you online. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. While our program airs regularly on Zoom webcasts and Facebook Live on Wednesdays at noon central, we invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group, Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you.